Welcome back to the Daily Devotion. My name is Kevin. I'm the pastor at Christ Church Conway, a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America here in Conway, Arkansas. The Daily Devotion is a time for us to be strengthened in our faith through the study of Scripture and theology. It's Sermon Sunday, so this week's episode is the sermon that was preached on Mark chapter 4, verses 21 through 25 at Christ Church Conway this morning. Hope you enjoy. To turn with me now to Mark chapter 4. We're continuing to look at this section on the, the parables of the kingdom. We've made it up to verse 21, and we're going to look at verses 21 through 25. I wrestled back and forth all week as to whether to break these up into two sections or treat them all together. And we're going to take them all together this morning because I think Mark has put them together to make a particular point in this section. So let's once again give our attention to the reading of God's holy and inspired and authoritative word. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Father, as we look at your word once again, we ask that by your spirit, you would illumine our hearts and minds. That we could rightly understand your word. That we, that you would fill me with the strength of your spirit that I may preach in his power in order that your people, as we hear your word proclaimed, may indeed know that the war is over, may indeed be comforted by the gospel and encouraged to live in its glorious light. We ask this in Christ's most precious name. Amen. Well, We've been working through the parable of the sower very slowly, looking at all the different bits of soil, all the different types of soil that are found there. And the the point of all of those things was about hearing the word of God. That was the problem with the first three, as we talked about. They, They quit hearing the word of God at some point, but the good soil continually heard the word of God and accepted it. Now, as we come to this passage... We see those same themes being dealt with in a very similar way. There's some kind of exegetical questions that are fun to think about as whether is Mark here recording kind of one moment of teaching from chapter or from chapter four, verse one through verse 34, or has he put kind of a, a sampling of, hey, here's the types of things that Jesus said, and he's kind of put them all together to make this one section of his work. As I've studied these sections more, I think it's, it's the latter. I think he has taken a collection of Jesus' sayings and put them together. And, and so he sums it up in verse 34. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples he explained everything. And so I think that's what we have in verse chapter 4, verse 1 through 34, is this kind of sampling of what Jesus taught that includes, and here's what it looked like when he gathered and explained what these parables meant to to the insiders, to to his people. So as we look at verses 21 through 25, we see yet another parable. Really, there's kind of too many parables or or, or two metaphors here that are used for understanding the gospel and for the role of the gospel. 
And as I've said, when we look at this section from 1 through 34, it's continuing to to deal with this reality that the kingdom of God is kind of counterintuitive, that it, it just doesn't work quite like we think it would work. It doesn't work really like anything else in the entire world. And that's why it ends up being counterintuitive. Because we're used to, you know, A in, B out. We're we're used to things working a certain way in life. But the gospel breaks in and does something completely different. Jesus broke in and offered what was the true interpretation of the Old Testament. And that's really what this is all about. So the counterintuitive piece here is that if we fail to see the word fulfilled in Christ as the way of the kingdom, as the way of kingdom fruitfulness, then even what we think we have figured out about the kingdom, even what we think we possess with the word, will ultimately be lost. That's the the counterintuitive piece. When we fail to grasp the gospel, then even what we think we have will be taken away, as we see in verse 25. So we're going to look at this in two parts. We're going to look first at the, the part about the lamp and what Jesus says. Then we're going to look at verses 24, where we're called to pay attention, and he uses this metaphor of, of a measuring cup. So first of all, part one, <clears throat> the lamp. There's this very simple statement made. It's, it's this just... Uh, truism, right? It's so obvious, you wonder kind of why in the world does that even have to be said? Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? Well, obviously, if a lamp is, if it's the time of day that the lamps need to be brought out and lit, then it would make no sense to put them under your bed where they can't give light or or under a bushel basket where it can't give light to the room. Clearly what needs to happen is the lamp needs to be brought in and set on a stand. The higher, the better, because then the more light will be given off because it gets it up above things that are going to cast shadows. And so that's why they would put lamps up on a stand because they wanted it to give as much light as possible. If I were to set a lamp right here, everything behind me would still be in the dark because my body would be blocking the light. But if I put it on a stand up here, the light can just travel further. That's the point here. And it's this just such an obvious question. If you hide the lamp, it can't give light. If it's time to light a lamp, doesn't it need to be set where it can give kind of maximal light? And the answer is, well, of course it does. And so Jesus makes this very, very simple statement. And then he turns around and kind of has this kind of jazz riff kind of moment where he he takes that very, very simple statement and then spins it in this kind of theological way to make this particular theological point. Nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. So he, he kind of spins this idea of this lamp being lit. And his point here is that if the purpose of a lamp is to be lit at the right time, then once the lamp is needed, that is, once it has been revealed, you don't hide it. You know, so if you see a lamp sitting, you know what it's there for, and if it's the daytime, you know why it's not lit. 
And, and if it comes night and it's time for that lamp to be lit, you light it and, and you don't hide it. You don't put it away. The, the point that Jesus is making here, if we can jump straight to it, is that Jesus lay hidden in the Old Testament until it was time for him to be made manifest, for him to be revealed. And now that Jesus has been revealed, we don't need to hide him. If we think about what's going on in the context of Jesus' ministry, the the Jews have been constantly trying essentially to hide him, to put him away, to, to make his light not shine. And in fact, this is what they would continue to do until finally they kill him, thinking that will finally solve the problem. Well, if we can spin off of Jesus' metaphor, that's like putting a lamp under a basket and it catching fire. And it actually provided far more light to the world because three days later, he rose from the dead. But that's not the point of this sermon necessarily. They were trying to put this light out. They, they wanted it hidden. But, but what they were missing was that what he was doing, what Jesus was doing, was actually providing the true interpretation of the word that they were trying to cling to. Remember, they were clinging to to temple worship and and to the laws and to the sacrifices, and, and they continued to even after Christ died and rose and ascended into heaven in victory. This is the whole issue in Galatia. This was part of Peter's struggle. Is how to bring these ideas together until God has this kind of, you know, all this pork and unclean food come down, this, this flying barbecue, and he tells him to eat it all and kind of makes it all make sense and puts it together for him. Jesus is teaching us here that he's not to be hidden. That when it's time for something to be revealed, then it's time for that thing that, that is being revealed to actually serve its full purpose. So here, the lamp is Jesus. Now, this is important for us to keep in mind because this is a common metaphor that Jesus comes back to, but he doesn't always use it the same way. In Matthew 5, he's talking to his people, and he says, you are a light. You are a city on a hill. That's not the point he's making here. Here, the the lamp, the light, the the metaphor is pointing us to Jesus, not to the church. So so he, and we see this with other things where Jesus uses kind of similar metaphors that, that he had in his teaching arsenal to make different points at different times, depending on the context. Here he's letting them know what was hidden, the Messiah the one into whom angels longed to look, the one that the prophets, as we've seen in the daily devotion in First Peter, the ones that they sought diligently to figure out at what time he was going to come, this one who has been hidden has been made manifest. It's been revealed. Here's the one who will fulfill the promises. Here's the one who will fulfill the prophecies. Here's the one who will bring life and light to men. Here's the one who will comfort now his people. Here's the one of David. Here's the seed of Abraham. Here's the one that we've been waiting on, the one like Moses that we should pay attention to. Here he is. And it's time for him to serve his purpose. 
It's time for him to do that for which he came to do. That's what needs to happen here. And it will do us no good, Jesus tells us, to try to hide it. It won't, it's not going to work. It's not going to help anything. We're missing the point if we try to do that. So how do we kind of begin to apply this? Well, one way that this commonly gets applied is, therefore, go be evangelistic. And we should be. I'm not in any way denying that we should be evangelistic with Jesus, that we should go out and and talk about him and, and make his glory known. Absolutely particularly those who have the gifts of evangelism and and who have been called to preach. That's what we've been called to do is to make him known. But that's not by any stretch of the imagination the only or, or really even the primary application of this idea. That, that what has been made manifest needs to be seen. When we think about the context that, that Mark has put this in, this idea of hearing that comes before it and after it, that, that we need to hear the word of God, we, we see that there are different levels of application that we can come up with. First, there's this hermeneutic application. Luke 24, right, that we go to so often that reminds us from Jesus' own mouth on the road to Emmaus that all that was written about me in, in the law and the prophets and the Psalms, that's what he's going to show to us, where, where he reminds us there in, in John 5, 39, that the Old Testament is really about him. One of the ways that we need to let the light of Christ shine is to now read the Old Testament in, in that light, in the light of Jesus Christ. Because that's what he has come to do. He is, is revealing, he is manifesting all of the promises that were given in the Old Testament. It's not two separate stories. We, we deal with this all the time here. The Bible is one story of God establishing his kingdom through his Christ according to his covenant promises. So one aspect, one application of applying this idea of letting the light shine, setting it up on a stand so that it can give light to everything, is now reading the Old Testament in the light of the gospel. It is perfectly appropriate for us to go back to the Old Testament and go, ah, this is about Jesus. This is about the gospel. This isn't just a history story. This is a gospel story. This isn't just something that God was doing with his people at that point. He was teaching us something about what Jesus was coming to do. And all of a sudden, we start reading the Old Testament in that light, and all the pieces start fitting together. We're like, oh, this is what's going on. My, my best friend, Reed Dunn, y'all heard me talk about him. He's a minister, a PCA minister up in Joplin, Missouri. And he's at their church. They're going through 1 Samuel right now. And he knows that I've looked at 1 Samuel a bit. And so he calls me and, and we process through things together. And this week we were talking about the difference between Saul and David. And, and, and kind of what do we do with all of that? And all of a sudden what you begin to see when you read that story in the light of the gospel is that Saul... And I'm stealing here from Reed. Saul tried to do everything without faith. And even though he was trying to do all this stuff that seemed good, 
he was faithless in all of it. David, on the other hand, did nothing without faith. He was constantly trusting God. Even in his failures, what does he do? He goes back to God and repents and looks to him and says, please don't forget me. In everything that he did, even in his sin, he was seeking to trust God. All of a sudden, we, we read those grand narratives in light of the gospel and we're like, oh, that's what a life of faith looks like. A life of constantly trusting the promises of God despite our circumstances, despite even our sin, looking to him for mercy. So there's this hermeneutical application of letting the light shine. Because see, what we need to remember is that Jesus wasn't offering some new interpretation of the Old Testament. He was offering the true interpretation of it. Not something where it's like, hey, y'all, you know, we used to deal with this this way, but now we're going to shift gears and deal with it this way. That's not what Jesus was doing at all. Remember what he says to Nicodemus. You're a teacher of the law. Remember when Nicodemus, he's, he's confused about this whole born-again thing? You're a teacher of the law, he says, and you don't know that you must be born again? Like I've said before, it's like he's looking at him and going, Nick, what have you been telling people exactly? This is the point of everything. I'm the point of everything. He, he tells the, the, the Pharisees, you search the Old Testament, you search Moses, you, you read the law because you think that in it you're going to find life, but, but they bear witness about me. I'm the one that fulfills all of this. So one way we let the light shine is by letting it shine on to Scripture, letting it shine back onto the Old Testament that Jesus is offering the true interpretation of. There's also corporate applications, aren't there? When we think about us as the people of God, there are, there are applications of this for our identity and how we think about ourselves in Christ. It, it's not, you know, wrong for us to say, no, we are the true people. We are Israel. A, a Jew is, is one who is one inwardly. We have been grafted in to the olive tree. This beautiful cultivated tree, we're the wild bits that have been grafted in, but now are integrated into that tree and are rightly considered part of that tree. We are the people of God, rightly claiming and standing on his promises, rightly expecting all of the promises that he made to be fulfilled for our good. There's also points of practical corporate application, aren't there? Because if it's the word of God that we're to hear, and if it's the word of God, if that's the light that we're supposed to put up on a stand and let it shine, then that will dictate how we minister. What is it that we have to offer people? As a church, what, what can we give? Yes, we can serve physical needs, and, and, and we should, but, but ultimately... What we have to give people is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we don't give them that, then we've, we've, we've offered them nothing of any eternal value, really. Yes, we, we can help people pay bills, and, and we, we can do all kinds of benevolent works, and, and we can pursue justice. We can do all kinds of things. But if we don't give people the gospel, 
If we don't announce, as, as this hymn instructed us earlier, tell them that the war is over. Proclaim to them that God's pardon waits for them. Remind them Jesus Christ lived and died in your place and rose again in victory over sin and death and is coming again to gather His people up and bring us into glory. If we don't tell that story, then we're hiding the light. This is why ministry looks the way it does here at Christ Church. Because what we've been given is this lamp, and what we've been instructed to do is to set it up on a stand so that it can give light. And the way we do that is by coming back in all that we do to the Word of God that is the lamp unto our feet and the light unto our path. And saying this, This is the story we have. This is the hope that we offer. This is the good news. There are also, of course, personal points of application here, aren't there? In our own lives, there's this tendency to put the the lamp under a basket. Here's Here's what it looks like. There's a great many things that we're like, yeah, that's great. We love the gospel. We love grace. We love mercy. And we're going to set that all up on a stand. And we're going to let it shine brightly. But then we come to these imperatives, these pesky little calls to holiness. And, and some of them are like, you know what? That's fair. That makes sense. I'll put that up. On, I'll put that on a stand. We'll let that shine some light around. But for all of us, and it's not the same ones, But for all of us, there are those bits in the Word of God, those imperatives, those that that we're just like, you know what? I'm just gonna act like that's not here. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna take the, the bold step. We're good Christian people. I'm not gonna take the bold step like some do and say, oh, that's wrong. We've learned since the Bible was written, and now this, that, or the other, we realize that's not actually the sin that they thought it was in the first. I'm not going to take that step. But I'm also just not really going to give much thought (laughs) to these particular imperatives. I'm not going to let that light shine in my life because I don't like what it leads to. I don't like what it calls me to. And whenever somebody does kind of try to open that, lift that basket up, I'm going to scream legalism at the top of my lungs and run flailing and kicking so that everybody feels bad because they think this person was trying to be legalistic with me. See, that's what it looks like for us at a personal level to put a basket over the lamp of God's word. I'm not here saying that we're justified by what we do. Absolutely not. In in, in no stretch of the imagination is that what I'm saying. But just like we have an exhortation to holiness every week, and, and we say every week, this is how we live in light of the gospel. This isn't how we get in. This isn't how we're justified. It's how we live in the light of the gospel. All scripture is breathed out by God and is useful for teaching, 
and correction and reproof and training in righteousness. So personally, there are these practical bits as well where we need to remember this is what we're called to as Christians, as the children of God. Just like my biological children are are called to to a certain behavior by being my children. There there are certain things that I don't let them do and that I expect them to do. And some of y'all may have even different guidelines for your kids, and that's totally fine. But they're my kids, so they get to follow my rules. We're God's children. Notice where it starts. We are God's children already. Therefore, we follow God's rules. We don't mix up the indicative and the imperative. We don't follow his rules in order to be his children. We are his children. And so this affects our identity as well. Shameless plug for, the, for the, the new podcast. If you've been listening to the Daily Devotion, this is all going to sound shockingly familiar because this is what Peter has been dealing with. That our identity is found in Jesus Christ. He, he teaches us that, that we're, he, God, in his mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Paul tells us in Romans 6, Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. What does it look like to let the light shine in your life at a personal level? Start there. Is this how you think about yourself? As dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. In, in recent years, there's been a, a lot of interest in, in mindfulness and self-talk and, and all of these kinds of things. And, and at times, we're like, I don't know if that's the best route to go. But, but here, Paul is telling us, no, be mindful of who you are in Jesus. Say, convince yourself of this. You are dead to sin. This is how you're to think about yourself. Dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Why does that matter? Well, because if I'm dead to sin, then when I'm tempted, when when something in my life comes up, I now have the, 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 the thinking to know I don't have to do that. Because I'm alive in Christ Jesus, because I'm dead to sin, because the Spirit is at work in me putting to death the deeds of the body, because if I walk in the Spirit, I won't gratify the desires of the flesh, I don't actually have to cave. I don't actually have to do this thing. Whatever it is that I'm being tempted to do. See, letting the light shine That's what it means. It's believing what the gospel says about us, that we are children of God, that we have presently the spirit of Christ in us, that we are even now free from sin. I'm not preaching perfectionism here. No, no, no. 
I know that, that the process won't be complete until the day of glory. I know we're not yet what we will be. I understand that. But I also know that I and you are sorely tempted in those moments to cave because we forget who we are. Because we forget the glories of the gospel. Because we don't let the light shine in. But we, we put a basket over it. And, and then try to figure out why living in darkness doesn't work. Jesus is telling us that the lamp, his word, him, that, that he came to be put up on a stand and give light to everything. And here he's calling his disciples and, and he's calling us to let the light of the word have its proper place in our lives. To let it shine that we might live in it. That we might walk in it. My timer tells me I'm 28 minutes in and I've made my first point. So my instinct to break this into two sermons was probably correct. So I'm going to pray for us now. This is my big dramatic conclusion because this wasn't where I intended to end. I'm going to pray for us now and then we will come to the Lord's table and let the light of the gospel shine in us once again. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how bright it is, for how it gives light to us for how it makes sense of the world and, and, and how it helps us see our way and how it reveals to us who our Savior is and who we are in Him. By your Spirit, Father, would you help us live in this light? We ask this in Christ's most precious name. Amen.